Rocky Peak, Michael here. It's so good to be with you. And uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, I hope we get to meet in the near future. We're going to go into our time of teaching in just a minute. But before we do, I've got an important announcement. If you were here last weekend on Sunday night at one of our encounter services, you know this. But if not, you may not have heard that. We made the announcement that starting in March, the very first weekend in March, we're going to be kicking off uh, uh, March by meeting, coming back to our campus for the first time in a year and meeting indoors right here inside the worship center. And so what, we shared, what I shared last weekend at the encounter is that we're actually going to have three different options for you as we move into the spring. And uh, all three are great options based on your life situation, what God is calling you to do. But the first option is obviously we'll continue to be uh, offering our services online at all the normal times that we've been offering this past year. Uh, but secondly, then, we will be coming onto our campus uh, and for the first time in a year on weekend services beginning to meet for uh, in indoors for our weekend services. Now, uh, that this is, this is how it's going to work. We're actually going to have, we're going to offer two indoor services every week, uh, one at 5.30 on Saturday nights, one at Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. And in addition to coming back to indoor worship for the adults, that all of our ministries are coming back as well. So our high school ministry will go back to its normal time on Saturday nights at 5.30. We'll have our uh, 9 o'clock in the Sunday morning service. We'll have all our kids' ministry and also uh, our wildlife middle life, uh, middle school ministry. Now, we'll, be, of course, be practicing social distancing, uh, be wearing masks and all the things. We want to keep you, uh, keep, create a warm and safe environment. Well, many more things we'll be doing, and we'll tell you more about that as we get closer. Now, during these two services, the Saturday night service and the Sunday at nine, we'll also be doing a live stream out on our patio. So if you want to come to outside of the worship center a patio, we've got a huge live, a big screen TV out there. Uh, it'd be a great experience out there as well. We'll provide the chairs even out there. Now, then in addition to those two indoor services, we'll also be having one uh, outdoor service at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. So just like right now, we have a 10 o'clock uh, outdoor service. We'll be having instead at 11 o'clock. And instead of being on the, the, uh, the, the large parking lot behind us, it'll be out here in the worship center. That'll be live worship, live teaching. And we'll see how that goes. But anyway, we're really excited about this. We're looking forward to coming back. And so really, whether you join us uh, online or whether you join us uh, in person, inside or outdoors, uh, we're just excited to be moving into the spring together and this next season as a church together. So uh, with, uh, without any more introduction, we're going to jump into our time of teaching. Hopefully you've got, you got your Bible and you've downloaded your note sheet and all that. If you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. Let's pray together. So Father, we're thankful for this new season that you're, uh, you're leading us into, and we're just thankful for the, the beauty of your word and how every week, Lord, you speak so powerfully through it. We pray today, God, that you just take away any distractions. You'd help us be focused in um, that whether it's me and the, as, as I'm speaking, as I'm sharing, whether it's us uh, at home or wherever we are listening in, that you would help us to come underneath your authority, underneath your leadership, underneath the, the beauty and the power of your word as you speak to us through your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, our story starts today in the capital city, and uh, it was about two weeks ago that he was called in and uh, summoned by his superiors. And he was, he was brought in, he, told that he was told he was chosen for a very special 
uh, honor. He was chosen to be part of a delegation that was gonna be sent to check out a radical new leader that was uh, the rising up in part of the country. And uh, their, the, their mission of this delegation was to go to kind of mingle with, this, with the followers, uh, to listen to the speeches, uh, if possible, to even get some one-on-one time with this key leader, to find out what his vision was, what his agenda was, and to see, kind of to assess uh, how, how great a threat this was to national security. And so that was uh, two weeks ago. And of course, on the one hand, this may amount to nothing, but on the other hand, uh, the future of the nation may be riding on this. And so that was two weeks ago, and so now they've made the long journey, and they've arrived for the last several days. They've been mingling with the crowds. They've been listening to the speeches. But he's really excited because on this day, they finally have the opportunity. They're gonna get to go face-to-face with this young, charismatic leader to ask him uh, what, his, what his vision is, why he's here, and try to assess how dangerous this is to the security of their country. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in uh, just the last couple weeks that's called uh, Signs, A Path to Life. And if you're uh, brand new, this, this is a series that's really sort of an in-depth, up-close-and-personal look at the life and teaching of, of Jesus, as seen through the eyes of one of Jesus' closest followers, closest personal friends, a man that we call the Apostle John. Now, John, his agenda in turn, he wants, he, he's inviting us to take a journey with him, to take a, a journey with him through the life and his experiences with Jesus. John is now an old man. He's uh, probably, you know, 80s or 90s. He's had a lifetime to reflect on his experience with Jesus, and he's inviting us to come along and to, to join with him as we uh, follow him uh, along the kind of the, the life, the teaching, and especially the signs, these miraculous signs that Jesus performed that help us to understand who Jesus is, why he came, and the power and, and the, the path that leads to and for, for life in our lives. Now, uh, if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know that we've looked at this opening section of John where, where John gives his intro to the gospel. And if you've been here, I've, I've compared John to like an attorney, like a prosecuting attorney or a defense attorney who is just starting off in the very early stage of a trial when they, they make their opening statement to the jury. Now, if you've ever experienced this, uh, during this opening statement, you don't really, they don't really lay out a lot of evidence. They just, they just tell a story. They introduce to the jury who their client or who the defendant is, uh, kind of the uh, story of their life a little bit, what happened in this particular situation, and what they're going to prove to you over the course of this trial. And that's what John has been doing. He's been introducing Jesus to us. He's been making some big, amazing claims about who Jesus is and why he has come. And now what he's going to begin to do is over the next 19 and a half chapters, he's going, he's going to begin to lay out the evidence that would lead us to the same conclusion that, about these uh, claims that he's made about Jesus in his opening summary statement. And so today, if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up and turn to John chapter one, verse 19. There in your note sheet is a section called Signs, the First Witness. Now, before we jump in, let me set the stage. 
So shortly before this scene opens, a few months before this, John the Baptist, uh, this, is, this, this special um, prophet that God has raised up in Israel, uh, has burst on the scene. And he's calling the people to repent, to prepare themselves for the coming of the great kingdom of God that's long been promised by the prophets of Israel. And so he's inviting people to come down to the Jordan River in the Judean wilderness. This is where Israel started their journey so long ago with Joshua crossing to the promised land. It's like going back to square one and going through the waters again, starting their nation again, so to speak. And he's calling them to be baptized as a sign of their repentance to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. Now, before this scene that we're about to read, uh, Jesus has actually come to John a couple months before this. And he was baptized in the Jordan, uh, standing with Israel, representing them in their sin and need for repentance. And then if you know the story of Jesus, after his baptism, remember at his baptism, that as John was baptizing him, that the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And out of heaven, God spoke and said, this is my beloved son, in him I'm well pleased. Now, John at the time, we're gonna learn today, though he was related to Jesus, he was actually some sort of relative, some sort of cousin or something, a little bit older than Jesus. Uh, he, he didn't recognize that Jesus was the Messiah until this moment. But after this moment, he realized that Jesus was the Messiah. And after that, Jesus went off into the desert for 40 days of fasting and prayer, preparing himself for his mission, where he did spiritual warfare with the enemy under the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so as this scene opens, uh, that Jesus is, has now come back from that 40 days. He's, he's there in the area. Um, but in the meantime, John's popularity has continued to skyrocket. People are coming all over for Israel, and the religious leaders in Jerusalem are becoming very concerned. Uh, often during this era of history, some sort of self-proclaimed prophet or revolutionary would rise up in the wilderness and gather followers. Sometimes it would turn into a violent confrontation with Rome. And so they feel a need to send a delegation down to the desert to check out this self-proclaimed prophet to see what he's claiming, what his agenda is. Now, this takes us back to the story that we started the day with about this young man. He's actually a priest, and he's been chosen to be part of this delegation to make the long journey down to the wilderness to mingle with the crowds, to hear what is being preached by John, this revolutionary, and their, their biggest concern, of course, is not that they don't really care whether John's a real prophet. That's not their concern. Their concern is John is preaching the coming of the kingdom of God, which sounds very political. It sounds very revolutionary. Their concern is that the nation of the, the empire of Rome will get concerned and come down to crush this rebellion. And in the process, it will lead to a whole new political and religious setup in Jerusalem. And these top leaders will lose their power, their prestige, their perks. And so they're sending down this delegation to, to find out what John is claiming about himself, why he's baptizing people, and to assess the threat, the level of threat to national security. So with that as a background, let's pick it up in verse 19. So 
this was John's testimony. So remember, the first witness that John the Apostle is going to put on the stand. He's finished his opening statement. Now he's beginning to give us 19 and a half chapters of evidence. And the first man he's going to call to the stand is this prophet, John the Baptist. So notice the language. This is John's testimony. Uh, he is, this is his witness in court, so to speak. Now, this is John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites, this is a delegation I talked about, to ask him who he was. Now, you know who priests are. Levites are from the tribe of Levi, and they have been set apart by God to help with the kind of practical aspects of running the huge temple complex. So this delegation arrives, and they, they ask John, who are you? Why are you doing what you're doing? And he says, he did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely. He said, I am not the Messiah. Now, to understand his answer, we have to understand a little bit more about first century Israel. In first century Israel, there was a lot of prophetic expectation. There was a lot of different speculation about the coming of the kingdom of God, the end times, so to speak, and what would happen when the Messiah came. And just like today, just like in our own time right now, there's a lot of speculation about end times things. And I've seen this my entire life. Every time there is something big happening in culture, there's a whole new list of books, there's a whole new list of uh, kind of uh, TV shows or whatever, and how this is it, when we're in the end times. And a lot of different speculations. And as you know, a lot of these speculations will be at odds with one another. And it was in the same way in the first century. And so in the Jewish world of the first century, there were three key characters that played important roles in the Jewish mind about of, of what would happen when the end times, when the kingdom of God came. And the first key character is, of course, the Messiah, the great king from the line of David. However, in the first century, there was no uh, unanimity about who the Messiah would be or what he would do. There was a lot of different theories about what would happen when he came. In fact, there was one theory, there were actually two messiahs. One would be a priestly messiah, one would be a, a kingly messiah, the king, a messiah who's a king. So there was a lot, of, a lot of diversity of thought about what the messiah would be, um, but that's the first character, this great, this great person from the line of David. Secondly, the second key character was the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And the reason was in the Old Testament prophecy of Malachi, it was written that before the great and awesome day of the Lord, that Elijah would come to prepare the way for the coming of the kingdom of God. The third key character was a man that was called the prophet. And this came from Deuteronomy 18, where Moses said that after he was dead, that God would raise up a prophet to lead them. And over time, this had come to be thought of as the super prophet, the ultimate prophet. Some people thought this prophet would actually be the Messiah. Others thought he'd be a different character than the Messiah. But these three key characters played a big role in people's minds that were associated with the coming of the kingdom. So John is announcing that the kingdom of God is near. And so this is raising questions about, well, what are you saying? What's your role? Who are you? 
So they ask him, are you the Messiah? And he says in verse 20, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm very clear about that. And they say, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah, this second character? And he said, I am not. And they said, are you the prophet from Deuteronomy chapter 18? And he said, no. And finally he said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? I, we, we, we need to you know, give a report. And so John is going to quote from a famous passage in Isaiah 40. It's a passage about God bringing back the nation of Israel out of uh, exile in Babylon and about preparing the way for Yahweh to return to the nation. And so he quotes from Isaiah 40. He says, I am the voice. That's all I am. I'm the loudspeaker. He said, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. And remember, he's teaching out in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. And in other words, level the path, get ready for the coming of Yahweh the King. So now the Pharisees. So we've got to, the first delegation was made up of priests and Levites, a religious leader. Apparently there's a second delegation there and they're called the Pharisees. Now if you're familiar with the life of Jesus, you may know this, but according to the Jewish historian, uh, Josephus, who was writing at the scene in the first century, he said that there were four major sects within uh, Judaism, and one of those was Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, for the, fo for the most part, were a, a, lay, a lay group. They weren't priests. They weren't Levites. Some Pharisees were priests, but, but most were not. Um, but they were very religious people. They had a huge influence. According to Josephus, there were 6,000 priests or 6,000 Pharisees in Israel at his time, which was close to the time of Jesus. And uh, the Pharisees were known for their, their, their love of God's word, uh, but they also tended to elevate their tradition to the same level as God's word, often make it more important than God's word. Uh, and they also tended to be very legalistic. So apparently they were concerned about John and they sent a delegation as well. And so the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, well, why then are you baptizing? I mean, if you're not the Messiah, you're not uh, Elijah, you're not the prophet, then what are you doing? What is your role? Why are you doing what you're doing? But notice how he sidesteps the issue. He says, why, do, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And he sidesteps, he says, listen, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know. Right here in this crowd, he's here. And you don't know him. But he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie. So in the ancient world, one of the lowliest tasks was to take off someone's sandals and wash their dirty feet. We'll see this later in John 13. And so it was, uh, it was kind of below any Jewish man to do this. Um, it was, uh, this was the work of a slave, uh, the work perhaps of a servant. Uh, often women would be required to do this, sometimes children, but never a Jewish man. Uh, but but uh, John, John says, he, this is a dramatic way of saying is that, hey, you're asking me why I'm baptizing. It's, this is not about me. This is about the one who's coming after me. And he is so great that I'm not really worthy even to be his slave. And so then John the apostle says, all this happened, this whole scene, he just described the delegation coming down the Pharisees. 
He says, this all happened at a place called Bethany on the other side, the eastern side of the Jordan where John the Baptist was baptizing. Now, there's another Bethany that'll become very important later in John. It's the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That Bethany just is uh, just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. We'll, we'll come to it later. So John is just saying that's not that Bethany. This was another Bethany. And scholars today still debate exactly where this uh, Bethany was, but it was on the east side of the, uh, the Jordan River. And so now, it goes on verse 29. So the next day, Jesus, uh, John, the Baptist, sees Jesus coming towards him. Remember, he said, he's standing among you. He's, he's among you. So he'd come back now. He's, he's back from his baptism, or back from his, his time in the wilderness. And so he's back, and we'll see in a couple weeks, he's, got, he's picked up his own disciples, and he's going to spend some time near John the Baptist as his disciples start baptizing people as well. So the next day, John sees Jesus coming towards him, and he says, look, and he calls out the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And we'll come back to this. And he says, this is the one that I meant when I said, a man who comes after me. If you were here last week, we saw this in the intro. This was the sample testimony that John referred to last, John the Baptist, or John the Apostle, referred to last week in the intro. He said, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me, has surpassed me because he's before me. We talked about that last week. He said, I myself didn't know him. I didn't recognize him, but the reason I came, the whole reason I'm here, the reason I'm baptizing with water for repentance was so that he might be revealed to Israel. This was my job to create a crowd, to give him a platform and say, there he is. And so then John gave this testimony. Notice that word testimony again, witness uh, in the court case. He said, I saw, I personally saw this. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And it's very significant because the Old Testament, we'll talk about this later, prophesied that when the Messiah came, he'd be anointed by the spirit, like the prophets and kings of old to carry out his mission. And so he said, so I, I saw it. And he said in verse 33, I did not know him, I didn't recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water, in other words, God, said the man who, on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that more later. He said, I have seen and I testify, catch that court language, that this is God's chosen one. And so John wraps up his intro, made these huge claims about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the only Son. He's made these incredible claims. And he says, okay, now it's time to start backing those claims up. Let me call my first witness to the stand, the prophet sent from God, John the Baptist, and let's listen to his testimony and what he says about Jesus, who he is and why he came. And so today, what I want to do in the time that we have together is I want to focus on these two big claims that John makes about Jesus, who he is and why he came. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Signs, John's Testimony. And these signs are, are very simple. Um, these, these claims are very simple, but they are very profound. Uh, and so let's jump in. So the first claim that John makes is that Jesus takes away sin. The 
This first claim he makes, Jesus takes away sin. And of course, we just saw this. It's there in your note sheet again. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you've been a follower of Jesus any length of time at all, this probably strikes you as fairly obvious. Like, we understand this. It's what the whole New Testament is about, that that Jesus has come to die for us, to die for our sins, his life for our life. I often call it the great exchange, that he takes our sins on him on the cross. It's how we're made right with God. It's how we have peace with God. It's the only way we can have peace with God. The New Testament talks about it time and time again. But remember who is saying this and when he's saying it. See, this is interesting. What is obvious to us today, reading back, would have been anything but obvious when John the Baptist said this. Now, let me explain what I mean. Uh, If you go back in the story of Israel, of course, this concept of a sin, that uh, a lamb that takes away sin is nothing new. It runs deep in their history. Now, think with me for just a minute. Let's go back to the Passover. And do you remember uh, when Israel, when, when God rescued Israel out of Egypt, uh, the, the, the event that made that happen was the final plague, the 10th plague that God sent on Pharaoh and on the nation of, of, um, of Egypt for uh, resisting his will and for all the evil that they'd done uh, for the last 400 years to the Jews in, in slavery, right? And so uh, remember the, the last plague was that God told Moses, I'm gonna take the life of every firstborn male uh, in the country and the, the life of every firstborn male animal as well. He says, so this is what you need to do to protect yourselves. You need to take every family, take a lamb and slaughter that lamb. And you're gonna take the blood of the lamb and you're gonna paint it on the door of your house, on the door frame, the sides, the top. You're gonna paint it all so that when the angel of death comes to bring judgment, he will see the blood of the lamb and he will pass over and you will not be judged. So Israel was saved by the blood of the lamb and this is what they celebrate still today every year at Passover. Uh, then think with me, when Israel comes out, uh, out, of, uh, out of bondage and they go to Mount Sinai, we talked about this last week, God appears, right? And then, and then after Moses goes up, God says, I want to live amongst the people. I want you to build this very special tent, a tabernacle. But when they built that tabernacle, everything had to be purified with blood. And it was through the blood of bulls, goats, lambs, that Israel was able to enter into relationship with this holy God because the blood covered over it, made atonement for their sin. Later in the prophets, when we get to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 52 and 53, Isaiah introduces us to this very mysterious character. Isaiah refers to him as the servant of Yahweh or the servant of the Lord. And he says that, that one day this servant will come and he will give his life for the sins of the nation to atone for them. He will be like a sheep led to the slaughter. And so this, Israel has a very long history of understanding this concept that they're saved through the blood of a lamb. 
But what they didn't understand, what was not very clear, was that this was one of the roles of the Messiah, that the Messiah was coming to give his life for the life of the nation. That was not clear. And what we see here at the very beginning of the gospel, as John calls John the Baptist to the witness stand, that John, before anyone else uh, said it, or before anyone else other than Jesus saw it, John testified. Uh, Long before Jesus would teach this, long before his disciples would understand it, John said, this is why Messiah is coming. He is gonna take away, he's gonna take up the sin of the world. Now, second, the second claim that John makes uh, is equally important. And what he claims is that Jesus will baptize, he baptizes in the Spirit. So there on your note sheet again, I, I put the verses. Uh, John gave this testimony, this was his witness. He said, I saw the Spirit come from heaven and uh, as a dove, and remain on him. Remember, there's a sign of Messiah. And I myself, I would not have recognized him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one, catch this, who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is big. If you were to go back to Israel at this point in time, Uh, those who had studied the scriptures, they knew a couple things about the kingdom of God. The first thing they knew is that when Messiah came, that he would be anointed by the Spirit, just like the kings and prophets of old, to empower him to carry out his mission. In fact, there in your note sheet, we're gonna skip down not to the next verse, but the following one in, in Isaiah chapter 11. This is one of the prophecies about the great king who will come from the line of David, from Isaiah. He says, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. So this was written after you know, the, the, the nation of Israel uh, was gonna be torn down um, and uh, it was like a tree that was gonna be cut off. And so the, Jesse was the grandfather of David. So this is a way of talking about the line of David. And he says, uh, it's like an like a, like a olive tree is cut down, but he says uh, a shoot will spring up uh, from the stump of Jesse and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. And catch this, the spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh, and he will delight in the fear of Yahweh. And so Israel knew that when the Messiah came, it was very clear that he would be anointed by the spirit of God. Israel also knew that when the kingdom of God came, it would usher in a new era in human history when God would pour out his people, uh, his spirit on his people. There are many passages that talk about this in the Old Testament, but one of my favorites is in Ezekiel 36. Just hop back up one, uh, to Ezekiel 36. This is uh, where God is talking when he'll bring his people back from, from exile and then one day pour out his spirit on them. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I know this, wash away your sin. And I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you and I'll remove from you your heart of stone, your hard heart. 
and I'll give you a heart of flesh in a good sense, a soft heart. And catch this, I will put my spirit on you and I will move you. I'll change you from the inside out supernaturally. I will move you. I'll change your desires to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So Israel knew that when the kingdom came, when Messiah came, he would be anointed by the spirit. Israel knew that when the kingdom came, that God's spirit would be poured out on his people. But what was not so clear is that it was the Messiah who would be the conduit of the spirit, that it would be the Messiah who would pour out his spirit, baptize him, if you will, uh, in the Holy Spirit. And, and so here, and, and this is gonna become, by the way, a big theme, a big topic of Jesus in the Gospel of John. One of the most important topics in the Gospel of John is how Jesus has come to pour out his spirit on his people. And so what I want you to catch is, 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 John, the, is John the Apostle calls John the Baptist to the witness stand. John raises his hand and says, I swear to tell the truth. The whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And then he makes these two amazing prophetic claims about Jesus long before anyone with Jesus understood them. And he said that the reason Messiah has come is he's come to take away the sin of the people and he's come to pour out the Holy Spirit. Now, this raises a couple important questions for our lives. As right at the beginning of the study, right at the beginning of the series. And so there in your note sheet, there's a section called Signs, What's Your Experience? And so I want to ask a couple questions based off of these two claims that John is making about Jesus. And the first question goes like this. Are you experiencing the freedom of forgiveness? Or maybe even a better way to ask this is to what extent are you experiencing the freedom of forgiveness? John is very clear that the reason Jesus came was to take away our sins. And of course, if Jesus takes away your sins, then you no longer have them. Um, if he takes away your sins, then he takes away the guilt for your sins and the shame for your sins, or the guilt and shame you may fear, um, you may carry for even sins that have been done against you. And so the question is, to what extent are you experiencing that freedom, that freedom from guilt, that freedom from shame that Jesus came to give you? And I think we could ask this question on a couple different levels. First, at the first level, we can ask this of those of you who at this point in your life have never given your life to Jesus yet. And what you're seeing today is this is the claim, that there's a time and there was a place when the God who created all time and space entered into creation, became a part of the human race, and the reason he did that was to take away your sins. And the question is, 
If you've never heard that, if you've never responded to that, that Jesus is making an offer. And so the question is, how will you respond to that offer? And if you've never given your life to Jesus and you want him to take away your sins so they're gone, so that you don't have to be held up by your past, you can move into the future that God has for you in freedom, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, that in a few minutes, I'm gonna give you a chance to ask Jesus to take away your sins. But I also wanna ask this question on a different level. Because the reality is, is that sometimes even as followers of Jesus who understand this theologically or theoretically, that for many of us, we can still struggle with shame and guilt over sin that we've confessed and we've even turned from. And yet deep inside, we wonder if we can ever be made whole. We wonder if we can ever be used. We wonder if we're truly deeply loved because of these crazy, horrendous things that we're the first to admit that we've done or that have been done to us. And you know, the enemy uses this in our life, that he wants to bring up the past. Uh, He wants to, he doesn't want you to let Jesus take away your sins. He wants you to carry your sins. And sometimes we can even feel like this is a noble and good and right thing. There's something about our human pride. We want to carry that sin. We don't want to completely let it go because then we'd be admitting that our peace is completely based on what Jesus has done, not what we have done. And yet this is what Jesus has come to do. And so right here at the beginning of the gospel, John says this is why he came, to take away, to to take up your sin so that you don't have to carry it, so you can be free, move in the future God has. To what extent are you experiencing that freedom? And the second question is, are you experiencing the presence and the power of the Spirit? We've seen that John is very clear that this is why Jesus came. He came not only to forgive us our sins, but to baptize us in the Holy Spirit, who will come, as we'll learn in John, to lead us, to guide us, empower us to live a whole new life, to be our our teacher, our mentor, to bring the presence of Jesus experientially into our lives so that our relationship with him is real and is profound and it's firsthand and it's alive. We can hear God's voice, we can be led by him, be transformed by the power of his spirit, have power over sin. This is why Jesus has come, to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. So the question is, to what extent are you experiencing the presence and the power of the spirit in your life? Now again, I think we have to ask this at a couple levels. Obviously, if you're not yet a believer, you've not yet given your life to Jesus, then you've not yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes, when you, or when you give your life to Jesus and atonement is made for your sins, 
you will become, as we learned last week, the temple of God. And, and once that atonement has been made, the Holy Spirit will fill your temple just like in the Old Testament, just like in the tabernacle. And so for you, the answer is, no, I'm not experiencing the presence and power of the Spirit, at least not in the way Jesus talked about, uh, because I've not yet given my life to Christ. But when you do give your life, then the Holy Spirit will come in and you will begin to experience his presence and power. But the second level is I want to ask this of us of believers. To what extent are you experiencing the presence and the power, his leading, his guiding, a sense of Jesus' presence, uh, his work in the word, making it come alive, his creating a hunger for you for the things of God, a desire to know him and to share him and make him known, to please him, to be transformed, to, like, like Ezekiel said, to be moved, to become a new person, changed from the end. To what extent are you experiencing the presence and the power of the Spirit? And what I found is I think for some believers, we've never even been taught this. And so we've never learned to look for, to recognize the work of the Spirit in our lives. I I think for some of us that uh, there was a time when we experienced the presence and the power of the Spirit in our lives, but over time we began ignoring his voice. We began resisting his leading. We begin defying his judgment. We begin choosing sin. And what happens when, that ha- when we do that, what happens is our hearts become hard and our sense of the presence and the power of the Spirit diminishes. And so to what extent are you experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? You see, as John the, John the Apostle calls John the Baptist to the witness stand, and he begins to testify. He says, this is it. First of all, he was before me. He surpasses me because he was before me. And secondly, he came to take away sin. And third, he came to baptize in the Spirit. And that is my official witness as a prophet of God. Let's pray together. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to give us a chance to respond to these two claims that John is making about Jesus, who he is and why he has come. And uh, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to talk with those of you who've not yet given your life to Jesus for whatever reason. Maybe today is the first time you've heard a clear presentation of what we'd call the gospel, why Jesus came to forgive your sins and to fill you with the Holy Spirit so you can live a whole new life. Maybe you've heard that message before, but you've resisted that message. You've been afraid to surrender your life to Jesus for fear of what he might ask or what he might require. Maybe there's been some sin in your life you've not been willing to turn from, but, but for whatever reason, if today is your day, you say, I, I, I'm sick. I'm sick of carrying my sin. I'm sick of carrying my guilt. 
If Jesus comes back, I want to be ready. I want to be ready to spend eternity. And, and more than that, I want to enter into a whole new life here and now. I want the freedom of forgiveness. I want to be freed from my past so I can move into my future. And I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, I want to pray a very simple prayer right now. And if, if you, this expresses the desire of your heart, I just encourage you to pray along with me. If you're alone right now, you can just pray it right out loud. If you're with someone else, feel free to pray it aloud as well. But if you feel self-conscious, you can just pray it under your breath or in your heart. If you're sincere, the Lord will hear. And just pray, dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I ask you to baptize me in your Holy Spirit. And teach me how to follow you. You'd save me for this life and the next life. And while our heads are down and our eyes are closed, if you just pray that prayer, I would love to know that, share that joy with you. We'd love to send you some information about the first steps you can take in your new relationship with Jesus. Just a simple email from me. Here's some steps you can take. And so if that's expressed the desire of your heart, if you would just send us an email at info at rockypeak.org or you could send it to me, michael at rockypeak.org, either one. And we'll get back to you with that. While our heads are still bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to talk to those of you who are my brothers and sisters in Jesus. You have given your life to Jesus, but you're saying, you know what, I want more of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're experiencing His presence and power. There's nothing wrong. You just want more. Or maybe you're a long way from home. Either you've never been taught this, or maybe you have, but through your own sin and rebellion, your heart has been hard. There was a time when you knew his voice. There was a time when the word was alive. There was a time when you longed to pray. There was a time when you, you had joy in sharing him with others. There was a time you had joy in giving and serving, but, but that's just gone out. You're just in, you're in a boring streak. You're just bored as a Christian. Can I tell you something? If you're bored as a Christian, something is wrong. You were not designed to be bored. You were designed to be filled with his spirit, the spirit of life and courage and hope and wisdom, the spirit that was on him that he wants to put on you. And so if that's you, whether, whether you, you're experiencing that, you just want more, or you're a long way from home and like the prodigal, it's time to come home and ask Jesus to forgive you and to surrender whatever it is you've been holding on to and then ask him to fill, him anew, fill you anew with your spirit. Would you do that now? Would you pray with me now? Dear Jesus, I know that you have come to baptize me in your spirit and you've said in your word that if we ask for any good thing, you will do it. You've said if, if you as evil, evil men know as fathers how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, we ask for a fresh anointing on our entire church that out of the death and the darkness of these times, you would raise us up. God, would you pour out your Spirit on us? And for those of us who've been in sin, 
rebellion, disobedience, and bitterness, hatred, and strife. We've been a long way from home. God, would you forgive us? And Jesus, would you pour out your Holy Spirit that times of healing and refreshing could come from the presence of the Lord. God, we thank you for this amazing journey you have us on through the Gospel of John. We pray you continue to meet us every week. And we pray you'd meet us now as we celebrate your death that leads to freedom and new life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.